0: everybody. What is going on? Welcome once again to the Everyday Missionary Podcast. This is episode 211. My name is Matt, and today we are dealing with the difference between principles and pragmatics. We're dealing with the danger of disobeying God and also the equal and probably even more dangerous issue of obeying God, but without wisdom. In fact, I think if we obey God without wisdom, we may create more damage than if we simply disobey God. Now, right now, your mind is already blown. Don't worry, we'll get to all those things in a minute. But before I get to that, I just want wanted to touch base on a couple of things that I think are related to the topic of the day uh, and then in sharing this I also want to give a challenge to all of us uh, as we're talking about this topic and kind of the things that I'm going to speak on here leading into the topic. Now, uh, interesting week for me. This was like a you know, like a uniquely busy type of week with different things going on. There was just a lot of spinning plates and a lot of different matters. And one of the kind of interesting weird things of the week was it was a week of both praise mail and hate mail over the same topic. And that's always what's fun is when you kind of speak to something or you are engaged in something and one person comes at it from the perspective of, you're really terrible, and then another person comes from the perspective of, "Oh, this is so good. Everybody needs to understand this." And so you're always like, "This is really interesting." And so for me, is those things come my way, I try to look and go, "How can I learn from this? What is it that I can grow in?" And it just reminds me all the more of my heart and desire to try to build bridges as much as possible to understand other sides of things as much as possible, because I go back to what our primary mission is in the world is to be peacemakers to be lovers of neighbors and lovers of enemies. And that's even why I've kind of dealt with some of the topics I have over the last couple of weeks. I I always worry that we as Christians get maybe too engaged in some of the cultural battles and it undermines our kingdom responsibility to love all people around us, to not call other people names, to not be um, trying to be uh, overly um, pushy or difficult or judgmental in our world, but rather we would be those people that go or that everybody looks at and says, those, those Christians are safe people. Those are people that regardless of where you're coming from in life, they are going to love you well. Like that is so often my ambition. And so with kind of the praise and hate mail of the week, it was just a reminder again of like, hey, no matter what's going on, I need to learn to do a better job even of being a peacemaker, a better job of building bridges and a better job of articulating the person of Jesus in my actions, in my words and in my life, right? So that, that really is maybe the challenge you give to all of us is to remember that what we're here to do is not to be critics of our world or to be engaged in criticism across the boards on the things that we see in our world, but rather we are to be ambassadors of, of this disposition of Christ, ambassadors of a message of Christ. And we are to be the ones that best embody how that sounds and looks and feels to the world that is looking at us. And so that's always going to be the mission of this podcast. That is to be the mission of the Christian. Now, with that, another thing that happened this week that was a real beautiful thing in my week, actually, is I had a great privilege to sit down with a friend that I've kind of gotten to know only from a distance. And finally, for the first time, we were able to get together this last week and have lunch. Can I tell you what's so cool about this is, um, I'm going to say their name is Elise because their name is actually Elise. And, uh, it it was cool because here's, here's a reality of our world. People look at the world in different ways and they come with different worldviews and they come with perspectives that may be very different than your perspective. But when you sit down with a person and you have the desire to understand the desire to connect, you have a sense of instant respect that this person sees the world differently than you and you can learn from the way that they are seeing the world and you can maybe see the world in a different ways or see the world through their eyes because there's an authenticity in wanting to genuinely kind of press in and understand and develop a rapport with that person. Like when you do that, not only do I think, hey, Jesus is really pleased in that, But you might find that you learn some things that you didn't know about before, or you develop empathies to things that maybe you didn't have empathy for before. And so with that, I think especially in the culture that we see right now that's incredibly divided, my challenge to you is to find that person in your life, and I wanna be clear on this, all right? Find that person that you already perceive to be a sincere personality, uh, that genuinely wants to see good in the world, And then just sit down and hear their story and share your story and hear their perspectives and try to understand their perspectives. Don't challenge their perspectives. Don't try to debate their perspectives. Just simply engage with the way that they perceive life and the world and all the things that we kind of all deal with in our daily environments and just see bridges built, see friendships established, see rapport that is created in that because as I continue to watch the divides, it's so easy to almost say, like, I'm not going to hang out with people that see the world differently than me, but I'm just going to lob grenades over the social media wall. And not only is it kind of destructive, and I think for the Christian, not only do I think that's incredibly sinful, I really do. I think that grenade lobbing stuff from the Christian side of things is incredibly sinful. Um, but, but more than that, it, it, it just dehumanizes much of the strife that we see. And for us as followers of Jesus, what we're called to do is to be peacemaking people and to make sure that the main thing is the main thing always, and we don't pick what Paul would say is silly arguments and destructive divisions that don't cause any flourishing or fruitfulness. And so maybe that's where the real core of this is. Like whatever your positions are in life, you should find a person that holds very different positions than you and just hang out with them and just talk to them. Don't debate them right? Grow in an appreciation for them and how they see the world differently. Because I think in the echo chamber that we live in nowadays, where we just get, unfortunately, people's thoughts uh, behind a keyboard and a screen, um, it exacerbates the sense of divide, us versus them. We're good, they're bad, whatever else. And I don't think that's the full reality of things. I think Uh, The reality is that human beings have a lot more in common than they don't have in common. They share a lot of the same fears, a lot of the same concerns, a lot of the same insecurities. And when you press in to get to know somebody else that's different than you, you might find there's a lot of real personal growth that can happen in you for that. And so that was a blessing in my week. I encourage all of you to just kind of find that person. Uh, You know, Maybe it's somebody that you have been debating with on social media or on some forum someplace or whatever else, but they live in the community and you say, you know what, let's just go have a coffee let's grab a beer let's let's just humanize this for a moment because I I personally believe that is the stuff of Jesus and that is the stuff of the kingdom. So there's your little homework assignment for this week. Uh, All of us should learn to, uh, again, kind of do a little self-reflection where we can be better peacemakers, better representatives of Jesus, and better friends to other people in the community, being those who love their neighbors just as themselves, because that's sort of like the big idea according to Jesus. So the way we love God is we love others. That's the way he wants us to love him because they bear his image. So there is my kind of challenge homework assignment for all of us. For the week. And therefore, from that, now we're on to the topic at hand. And like I said, it is the topic of kind of the danger of principles without pragmatism. And I think it's related to what I was just talking about, because I think what I'm seeing oftentimes are people siding up with principles but not engaging in the 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 pragmatics of those principles to help kind of bring people along to maybe seeing the world from a different point of view or to actually truly practice our principles and not just contend for our principles. Because I think at the core, what a principle is designed to do is to be incarnated, right? You're to live out the principles that you hold. You're to put your life, your money, and your time behind your principles. Otherwise, your principles are just ideas, but they're not really lifestyles, you know? And so even like this last week when we were talking about kind of the pro-flourishing idea, whatever else, and and it's like for those of us who are in that pro-flourishing camp it has to be that we put our time and our money and our our heart and passion behind those things because we genuinely want to help people. We don't want to just stand on the sideline and say, this is my principle, but, but don't ask me to sacrifice for that. I'll just vote on that every four years or I'll just you know, make a statement online or put a bumper sticker on my car and call it good. No, we need to actually engage in the principles that we hold in such a way that there's a true pragmatism behind it, a practice of those things and we're living those things out. And I think to do that requires something that the Bible calls wisdom. All right. And and this is where it's a little bit interesting. And so like in the beginning of my little opening monologue there, I talked about this idea of obeying and disobeying God and which one can be more dangerous if there is not wisdom applied. And I think that's what I'm getting at in all of this discussion today, right? Um, the idea of wisdom and wisdom is different than obedience and wisdom in part is different from obedience because when we think of obedience, we think of a list of rules that we're to keep. What wisdom does with that list of rules is says, how exactly do I keep those in a way that is truly the spirit of the rules and not simply the letter? of the rules? How do I operate in such a way that the big principles are maintained as I'm following the lesser or smaller rules in relationship to the big idea principles? And so Jesus says the greatest commandment is to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. But then the Bible is filled with all sorts of other things, right? All sorts of other commandments for our life that we're meant to follow along with. And so we're trying to figure out how do I honor those commandments, those sub commandments, while at the same time making sure that I'm loving God and loving my neighbor as myself. Or again, when I talk about the loving of neighbor extending that to the love of an enemy because Jesus was really clear how far this love of neighbor extends it exp- extends all the way to the neighbors that aren't terribly neighborly to you or what I actually find is often the case, it extends to the neighbors we don't want to be neighborly toward. Like if we're really honest, sometimes the loving of an enemy is not that they have like an enmity against us or an enmity against us, but rather we have an enmity against them and we just don't wanna have to love those kinds of neighbors. But Jesus is pretty unambiguous about this, as is Paul, that the whole of all of the rules Are embedded in loving your neighbor. Paul says that in Romans 13. Jesus says that, of course, in Matthew chapter five and some other places as well. It's kind of like a big deal as well as the fact that Leviticus anchors that commandment at the center of its book on this is how you love your neighbor. Well, right. So all of that we get, we understand whatever else. And so this is where, again, when we're trying to figure out how can I be an obedient follower of Jesus in this world and at the same time do it in a way where there's wisdom. So I know when to hold my tongue, when to speak, What battles to engage in, which battles to refrain from, when should I be defensive versus when should I just be forgiving? Like all of that kind of comes into play with this particular thing. And what's interesting about that is that wisdom then is a bit more ambiguous as far as how you grow into it, how you apply it, and how you begin to master it. In other words, there is no real clear cut set of principles to apply wisdom, Wisdom is this thing that you have to really depend on the Holy Spirit to produce in your life. Wisdom is this thing that you really have to think in terms of the ultimate goals and how all the other things I do play into those ultimate goals. And they're for, from that, then I'm looking at the world that I live in and I'm trying to always go in these gray areas, in these difficult things, what would be genuinely the wisest thing to do? Not the thing I most want to do, or even what I might perceive to be the most, biblically commanded thing to do. But in that, as I'm weighing that biblical command, is there a way to do that that would genuinely be wise versus be foolish? Because here is the thing that I've come to discover having read the Bible a lot over the course of many years and having been a Christian for a long time in the church. uh, It's this idea that while we worry about those who disobey the Bible, we should equally worry about those who obey the Bible but without wisdom. And I know right now, some of you are going like, gosh, man, I don't know about this. Like, where are you coming from in this? And isn't obedience better than disobedience? Well, let me illustrate this uh, from the New Testament itself. Uh, If we were to look at the primary critics of Jesus, they were Bible-believing, Bible-obeying people right? I mean, whether it be the Pharisees or the scribes and religious lawyers, I mean, these were people that were not only very knowledgeable about the Bible, but very committed to the purity of the law. They would protect the purity of the law. They developed this idea called the Mishnah. And I've talked about that before in the podcast. And so they said, you know what? Our ancestors were terrible about following the law and they would follow other gods and they bring an idolatry and it would get us in trouble. And then God would deal with this. And it was kind of a drag. And so we want to be the purest of all generations. And since the Maccabean revolt, that had been their commitment. And so uh, in their quest to make sure that the people maintained the the uh, loyalty and kind of um, commitment to biblical obedience, they had the law, right? Those 613 commands of Moses. And then they developed the Mishnah, which was basically, literally that word means a hedge. They built a hedge around the law because the law is so beautiful and important and vital to life that we need to make sure it's protected with this hedge. And the hedge... Acted as a bit like a buffer zone to help people to live out and apply the law in their lives, and so if the Bible says, for example, uh, keep the Sabbath holy, like the fifth commandment, for example, um, or that's the fourth commandment, the fifth commandment, I think is honoring your father and mother. Um, so. If, if that fourth commandment is central in the 10, then we need to make sure that people know how to apply that through the Mishnah. And so that's what turned into, you can't walk more than 3,000 paces on the Sabbath. You can't water crops on the Sabbath. You can't do certain selective things. Even if it means like if you spill water, that's sort of like watering. And so that's bad. And so they had all these extra rules Not because they were trying to subvert the Bible, but because they were trying to honor the Bible, right? And so what you have is by the time Jesus rolls onto the scene, there are very focused, very biblically minded, legally driven people who seek to obey God at extreme costs. And yet in that, Jesus then looks at that generation and says, and you're the worst of all the generations. So how is it? How is it? I mean, you go back and you look at the Old Testament and you go, so you're trying to tell me that that generation was worse than the generations of the judges? Because those people did some crazy stuff like frat party, wasted, breaking every law, get out of town before they can chase you down kind of stuff. Like that was the time of the judges. That was a bad season. You had the season that led to the northern tribes being taken off to Assyria and never coming back to land. You had the southern tribes going off to Babylon and eventually coming back to the land. But God did all of that because they were following idols, doing crazy stuff, again, just frat party living. And yet, Jesus says that those generations are not as bad as this generation. In fact, Jesus goes so far as to say, Remember those places like Sodom and Gomorrah? Those people are better than you people. That's how far Jesus goes to make his point. I mean, it is mind blowing that you could have people that were so rigidly obedient to the Bible getting in so much trouble by the God and from the God who wrote the Bible. So why is that? Well, I think that goes back to the premise of what I'm talking about today, which is you can have a biblical obedience that is devoid of wisdom, and therefore it is worse than the disobedience of, again, idol-worshiping generations or Sodom and Gomorrah or any other group that Jesus says, those people are better than you people. Like, like, That is what I'm getting at here. And I think what that really gets down to at the core of it is the fact that that generation that Jesus is dealing with, they think they're really right because they think they're really biblical, but in that they're really wrong because A, they follow commands without heart and B, they follow commands without wisdom. And so when you look at the Old Testament, for example, uh, you see that God has a very high view of this idea of wisdom, this idea that says in obeying what I've called you to obey, I want you to do it in such a way that there is a disposition associated with it. There's always a bigger perspective that is connected to it, that what he wants in our obedience is a love of him and a love of others. So we do what he wants us to do because we're demonstrating a love toward others because When you read through a lot of those Old Testament laws, they're about how we interact with other people. It is about being just to other individuals. It's about being merciful to other individuals. It's about loving other individuals. In fact, that's what the whole essence of holiness is all about, to be uncommon to the commonness of the world. And in that, you're then to make sure that you're putting others before yourself and you're not cheating them. And you're making sure that those who are neglected or poor or ostracized or seen as somehow an outsider, you bring them in as an insider. You care for them. You take care of them. Even the book of Ruth right now is a great example of that, where there is the spirit of the law that's being exercised, though technically there's all sorts of violations of the law from a legal perspective. Like that's one of the ironies of the book of Ruth, but it's because what's going on there is there's the deeper spirit of the law that's oftentimes being pursued. Now, when I say that, I'm not advocating that we can all go pull a Ruth stunt now and break all the rules. That's not my point. My point is you can keep all the rules and still be breaking God's heart. And therefore what we we really want to do is make sure that that we're keeping quote the rules in such a way that we are then in tune with God's heart, that we are exercising God's heart. In fact, if anything, that God's heart is overlaid in our hearts so that we are doing these things in the spirit of wisdom. Because wisdom is going to help us then discern how to do commands. Well, in fact, I'm going to do this or illustrate this in kind of a weird way. I'm going to illustrate it by way of contradiction in the Bible. Now, right now, again, all of a sudden your spidey senses are up while the lights on the dash are flashing and you're like, Matt just said there's contradictions in the Bible. Yes, Matt did, but don't worry. So do conservative scholars. And here's what I mean by this. It's not so much contradictions, but it's two commands side by side that really seem to contradict one another. But in doing these two contradictory commands, if you apply wisdom to the matrix of these commands, then you realize that, oh, wisdom requires me to make assessments, to consider things, to figure out the environment, and then figure out the best way to obey in that context. So I'm going to give you an Old Testament example of this, and then I'm going to give you a Jesus example of this, because I think they're both applicable and applicable then, even to what I talked about at the beginning, about how we interact with the world and what we do and what we say and what we choose not to say and not to do, because it'll be better for the flourishing of our society and better for the transmission of the gospel to uh, the people around us. And so First, the Old Testament text. This comes from our man, Solomon. He, in and of himself, is a great story of contradiction. The wisest man who ever lived that did the dumbest stuff anybody could ever do, right? That's Solomon. He's just like, he is a walking contradiction. God endows him with great insight, and then oftentimes he's flying blind, even with the insight. It's kind of strange. But in the book of Proverbs, chapter 26, he writes this really thoughtful statement He says, don't answer the foolish arguments of fools or you'll become as foolish as they are. Then immediately he says in verse five, be sure to answer the foolish argument of fools or they will become wise in their own estimation. Now, if you missed that, I want to go back to it for just a second because it is a blaring contradiction side by side. Don't answer the foolish arguments of fools, verse four. Be sure to answer the foolish arguments of fools, verse 5. So, which is it? Which command are you and I commanded to obey? The don't answer or the do answer? You cannot have a more blatant sense of contradiction in that space than right there if you're looking at the Bible from the perspective of it's always clean, neat, and tidy, and I just need to catalog all the commands and do them. Because here we have commands in tension. Obvious opposite ends of the spectrum tension. So cool, right? So what does this then require of us? Well, it requires wisdom, right? Total wisdom. In other words, it's saying with one person, you might go, you know what? Um, They're saying stuff and I could say something in response to this, but it's not gonna help. They're not gonna hear it. In fact, it's just gonna blow stuff up more. So I'm not gonna answer that. But with another person, you may say, no, I really need to try to address that and bring some clarity to that. And I think in this context, in this environment with these certain things going on, I think they can at least hear it or receive it or understand it, or we can dialogue about it. In fact, that was one of my experiences this last week where on one of the uh hate mail side, so to speak, it was really clear in reading this that... um the, the die had been cast. The decisions had been made. Uh, the number of things that I was apparently uh, was set in stone. And so, and this is a person I don't know. It's not a part of our church or anything else. And it was just like just a lot of stuff that was said and a lot of decisions about who I am and what I think and all of these things. And so it was with that, I'm like, how do I respond to this email? And in the end, I'm just like, you know what? I'm just going to be gracious and say, Thank you for your input. I can see that you have really strong passions about this. Uh, thank you for your advocacy for other groups in the community. And I hope you have a wonderful day. Like, you know, it was just like, this is the right route to handle that, you know? And and in that, I'm going to think the best about this person. I go, I don't know all the things that led up to the feelings that they have and everything else. Um, it was clear though, that it wasn't really going to be a dialogue. It was that That was not what this was being sought out for. And so in that I go, wisdom says, just be generous, just be loving in response and say, thank you and have a great day. Like that's the right thing to do where, in maybe a different context, maybe with a different person or a different set of conditions or whatever else it can be. No, let's connect on this. Let's see if I can help you understand where I'm coming from. And I want to understand where you're coming from. And then you can have kind of interaction or dialogue. See that's where these two commands are how are kind of like they come into play or they come into the orbit of our lives in such a way that you're just using discernment, you're using wisdom, you're saying this will not be fruitful, but this other thing could be fruitful, and I just have to navigate that. See what I love about this is that in the context of that type of wisdom that you have to apply, you also have to apply like other things the Bible says about how to respond to people, uh, you have to apply a, a certain level of prayerfulness that says, all right, Jesus, what do you want me to do about this? Like, I think that's something that's really important for us as Christians, because I think sometimes, especially in the West, we're very functional. And again, I think we want to be principled and with that though, we, we sometimes don't just simply go to Jesus and say, I'm going to, I'm going to go to you for a while about this and I'm going to talk to you about this and I'm going to ask you to guide me in what I want to do. We can be snap judgment or reactive or give a piece of our mind or, you know, whatever it is, but wisdom requires you to rely on God a lot more. Wisdom requires you to be much more prayerful and reflective and be still for a little bit and hear from God. Um, Sometimes wisdom requires you to push your side, your pride deeply to the side, um, and to remember that, you know, less than half of everything. And maybe there's something I'm missing here. And then in all of that wisdom requires you to still love whoever is on the other side of some topic. And so that's where it's helpful and valuable to say, you know what, uh, Sometimes obedience is intention and wisdom needs to be applied. I want to fight for the principles, but in a very pragmatic way and in a pragmatic way that honors the deeper spirit of these principles and the overarching principles that God has for our life, in particular, loving him loving others, even loving those who don't love you or loving those that you don't love. And you know, you need to grow in your love for them and praying that one through, right? So there's where you get this wisdom is sometimes needed to obey the Bible. And sometimes if you don't have wisdom and you obey, it can be destructive right? Because you may not have the right heart. You may not show the love of Christ in the process of that. You may just be like, boom, here's what it is. Here's what I think of you moving on. I spoke the truth in love, even though there was no love in the speaking of truth, right? So these are where these things are helpful. Now, let me give you a New Testament example. And this is from our man, Jesus himself rolls in Sermon on the Mount. You guys know it's my favorite section uh, because it's so counterworldly. But right? that's what I love about the Sermon on the Mount. It just blows up all the ways we want to work in the world and tells us to work in the world in different ways. And so Jesus actually says something back to back that has a certain level of contradiction to it, or at least seemingly until you apply wisdom, right? So Jesus says in Matthew chapter seven, verse one, do not judge others and you will not be judged for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. Now, right there for the record, that should always freak out the Christian because Jesus is being pretty clear with the attitude you have toward others. That's the attitude God will use toward you. So in other words, uh, you set the tone for your final judgment, right? That's so interesting to me. Like, I don't know if you've ever really thought about that before, but if you're critical of other people, God's like, hey, if it was good enough for you to use against other people, it's good enough for me to use against you. Right? So if you're unforgiving, if you are seem to always be like, nobody can do it right, everybody's idiots in the world, this person's an idiot, that person's an idiot, I disagree with this guy, I disagree with that guy, God's like, I'm just taking notes, man. I'm taking notes and I will use this on the final exam of your life. That's a pretty sobering thing. That should cause us right there to be like, whoa, wait, as I obey the Bible, I want to do this in a way that's really dependent, really generous and really wise because God is going to use either mercy or my own judgment in judging me. And I want to minimize... Kind of my facing of that in the end by erring on the side of mercy because the Bible also says, Hey, in the degree that we are merciful, we will receive mercy. To the degree that we're judgmental, we will be judged. To the degree that we're merciful, we receive mercy. That's just you're choosing your own adventure on that one, right? And so Jesus is pretty clear. So he gives us warning about not judging. And he goes into description about logs and specs and all of that, skipping that part. Because then immediately after this idea of not judging and him illustrating the issue of not judging, he says, don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. They will then turn around, trample the per- pearls and attack you. Now, what that actually is, is Jesus is saying, uh, you need to be judicious in your decisions with people. He says, don't judge people. Uh, but you might want to judge people. And okay, now that sounds weird, right? But this is really what he's getting at. Don't judge, you better judge. So which is a Jesus? Do I not judge or do I judge? Yes, answer is yes. But that yes answer requires, again, wisdom, right? So in one sense, he's like, hey man, if you're self-righteous, if you think you're better than other people, that's a problem, right? Because your motive should be to want to help people. If you think somebody really is messed up, has a wrong view of the world, is broken in some way, Your objective, your kingdom calling is to come alongside, to love them, to understand them, to build bridges to them, to be a peacemaker among them. And if they turn on you to be okay with that and accept your persecution with joy, with love and affection toward them, hard stuff takes us back to Matthew five, but it's, it's what he says, right? But he's also saying there are some people in your life and in your world where he says, you already know how this is going to go. So with that, be judicious enough to not necessarily engage with those who you know are just there to chuck you under the bus, that are just there to chew up and spit you out. In that sense, he says you're better off to be wise and steer clear, right? So in one sense, he's saying, don't be self-righteous in it. But in another sense, he's saying, but be smart enough to not engage in silly things. And with some people in your life, you know that they're just going to be destructive for destruction's sake because they like to just watch the world burn or they're just so bent on being outraged at something, you will become the source of their outrage. And he says, in that sense, be wise, be smart. Don't try to fix that person. Don't try to force any change on them. Just kind of avoid it because they're just going to trample you. They're going to take precious things and trample them in the mud and attack you in the process. And so what you see from the words of Jesus on judgment is ultimately wisdom. In one sense, you don't want to do it. In another sense, you do want to do it. You want to do it in a loving way. You don't want to do it in a self-righteous way. Just as much as sometimes you want to answer somebody that might be foolish. And sometimes you just want to steer clear of somebody that might be foolish. See, this is why I say obedience with wisdom is better. In every category, in every category, obedience with wisdom is better. And what I see sometimes for us as Christians... As we can be so focused on this idea of obeying and thinking everybody else should obey in the same way that I obey, that we lose that wisdom. That we begin to sound too absolutist, too pushy. We don't give bandwidth for growth or bandwidth for people to develop and and maybe come to conclusions in a way different than us or whatever else. And and I think that's where our tone needs to be. I think our tone needs to be that more than wanting to kind of apply the Bible to everybody in our lives we want to work harder to apply the Bible in our own lives, and if we're doing that right in the spirit of wisdom, in the spirit that shows then the fruit of the spirit in our lives and a consistency of our faith and everything else, I think that's what's going to compel people far more than anything else. I mean, really, I believe that far more than anything else, what's going to compel people are Christians that look a lot like Christ. And I say that because there was this thing that happened this last week, it was interesting and, and I, I ran across it more than once where there there's these like little slogans we have as Christians, which is, uh, you know, hey, I'm not perfect, just forgiven. Or the slogan is don't judge Christ by Christians, right? Christ is different than Christians. And so don't conflate the two. And I thought both of these phrases, I appreciate their heart, but I think they're flawed because I think they let us off the hook a little bit because actually what Jesus would say is, you are my ambassadors. You are my representatives. You're supposed to show who I am to the world. In fact, if anything, what he would probably say, looking us in the eye very lovingly is, yes, in fact, the world should judge me through you. They should. What they see in you should be me. And if they're not seeing me in you, then you need greater wisdom you need greater commitment. You need a greater sense of connection to me so that it can be me displayed through you. Not simply rule-keeping in the name of Christ, but rather an embodiment of the one who creates the rules through our lives. And as we do those things in love, in grace, in wisdom, in a sense of humility, God can use that. God can actually deploy that for kingdom gospel benefit and purposes. And so I, I'm all about grace and erring on the side of grace. But I want to make sure in this too, we understand our responsibility and that we would own that, you know what? Yes, the world should be able to see Jesus in us. Jesus should be able to say to us, you're my representatives. Go do it. Go make it happen. Go display me well, right? See, that's a hard thing. It's going to be a painful process sometimes. But I believe that if we do it and if we do it well, and if we embrace these ideas well, man, we will be even better everyday missionaries.